All right, guys, here's another episode of the Daily CDs. I'd like to take this time to thank all the people who've joined my Patreon. I really appreciate that. And then also the guys who have joined the, my membership on my YouTube channel. Uh, all that really helps a lot. And also to uh, Value Pack, dog food. You know, I fed Value Pack before. I really thought it was good dog food. The hounds did really good on it. And uh, I'll be feeding it again here soon. Uh, I think it's really important that we support the companies that support what we do. Also to W Supply. Uh, they provide this platform for us to share our content. And uh, I want to thank them for that. Anyway, here's that episode. Enjoy. Well, I got, I got my gun up to my shoulder laying right there on my belly. And I put it up to my left shoulder because I shoot left-handed. And I got all ready. And these dogs was maneuvering around there. So I had to be careful. And now minute everything was clearing. And I killed that thing. And by that time, why, Splayfoot and Clell and Mr. Shirt and C.H. Barnaby was right there close. And I crawled back out. They came on up, and so Splayfoot and I crawled in there, and we we pulled that thing out with a rope. And then we put it on a pole, and it was a lot bigger than the female jaguars in Mexico. And we carried it back to the jeep and took some pictures and all and then went on back to camp and I guess that is uh, the third day that we'd been there at that camp and we thought that was pretty good but I really did shoot it into old Playfoot. And I'd say, no se pare, no se pare. And I told him, I said, well now listen, you can tell that these Arizona hounds, it only takes one of them to catch a jaguar. It don't take a whole dot dang big pack. And now let me tell you, he didn't hear the last of that because I imagine he is sick of hearing me say that to him. It only takes one of these hounds to catch a jaguar. But I felt like that he had it a-coming. So anyway, I think it was uh fourth day we didn't run anything. Well, the fifth day we were out there walking along up by the edge of the jungle and in in a cow trail that run right along by it. And it was real dusty. And it was dusty as a dickens. And we hit this track and, and these dogs could take it away and then it got pretty hot and they couldn't trail it in this dusty trail. So we just put our dogs back behind us and we was trailing it ourselves, going right up this dusty trail. And Barnaby was with us. Well, we got up there quite a ways, and it began to get up in the day and get hot. And uh, after a while, uh, he said, uh, you guys are not going to catch that jaguar. I said, well, C.H., I don't know whether we are or not, but we're we're trying to, and you've got to try and put out if you're going to catch this stuff. Oh, he said, you're not going to catch it. He said, I'm going to stop. I said, well, don't you try to go back to camp by yourself, because if you do, you'll probably get lost and never get back. And r right out just a little ways, there was a big old tree sitting out there. But one thing good about it, if you got out of that jungle, there was a good breeze would come up about 10 o'clock every morning. And this, this tree sit out in this opening and a pretty good breeze out there.
and he is getting hot and sweating. And I said, well, you go out and get under that tree in that good shade, in the breeze, and you wait there till we get back. I said, now I'll tell you what we're going to do. If we catch that jaguar here close and the tree it, well, we're coming back after you. But if that jaguar is fighting these dogs on the ground, we're going to kill it. We're not a coming back after you because you ought to be with us. He says, well, I don't expect you to. And we had these same four females that we'd had when we caught the other one. So, but he said, well, I wouldn't expect you to. But he says, you're not going to catch it anyway. I said, well, I don't know whether we are or not. So we just went on. He got went out to that tree and got in under it. So I'll bet we hadn't went over a quarter of a mile from him, if that far. And just kind of around a little point in the jungle, and boy, the buzzards just swarmed out. And that jaguar had went out on the, that flat there and caught that drone cow and killed her and drug her over and had her there in the edge of this jungle. And she was laying right there at the cow, right there at her kill. And these jaguar, uh, these buzzards wasn't down there eating on that kill because that jaguar was laying there keeping them from it. They were all in those trees. And when they those those uh, buzzards all flew out of those trees, well, we knew nearly that there was a kill there. And these dogs were right with us. Why, they smelt that jaguar right there. And boy, they bawled, and away they went. Well, they didn't go a little, but just a little ways down through this jungle, and we were running down in the jungle, but in a little kind of opening to where we could run. And we was a, a, just a running to beat the Dickens, and old Cloud seen this jaguar, and he just raised up and shot, and down it went. Well, in a little bit, it just jumped up, and away it went. Well, they run quite a ways farther, and we was using this old 35 Remington automatic, and right there in a small clump, probably 20 feet around it and real thick, where the bait in there. And Cal, we, this thing had hang up so much, we had shoot it single shot. So he, he run in there, and shot, the, and shot this Jaguar and then run out. And I said, for God's sake, let me kill it for you. So he handed me that old gun and I put a cartridge in it and I run in there and the Jaguar was laying there dead. And I just shot it. Turn around and come out and I said, well, let's get in there and pull it out. I said, you telling me about what a, how much better shot than you are and I am and I have to shoot a Jaguar that Jaguar that you're supposed to kill. And I never did tell him for a long time that that Jaguar was dead when I went in there. So we pulled it out and skinned it. Well, old C.H. is back down there, and he could hear all this commotion. So now in a minute, we walked up with this Jaguar hide on her. Old Splayfoot's back, taking it back to camp. And I said, C.H., you ought to have been with us. He said, yes, I should have. He said, I could have made it there all right. I said, yes, you could. But I said, I told you that if that thing was on the ground and the fighting these dogs wasn't going to come back after you. 
And I said, you ought to have been with us. He said, well, I didn't think he was going to catch it. I said, you remember I told you that you didn't know anything about it, that I didn't know whether it was or not, but I knew good and well we had to change. He said, well, my own fault. I said, yes, it was. You haven't got any Billy Aker coming? He said, no, I haven't. So we went on back to camp. Well, I think then the next day, well, Vegas come in. And uh, in his plane and visited us there. Well, now, we went out there then one day after Vegas was there. And we were letting Dora wasn't in season. So we was out there, and I think we had a dog or two more with us. Now, I don't know. I don't remember what. I think we had five dogs. But we had Dora and Rounder and Tuffy. And Rounder and Tuffy were Dora's pups. And Dora, I think they was three years old. And Dora was five years old, but they were broke dogs. And we had told Vegas that they was deer-proof. And he didn't believe it because he had never seen a deer-proof dog. So we were walking along, and he had he had guys to take care of his hounds, and he had guys to kind of more or less handle his hounds. And he and his head hound man was walking along there with us, and Dora and Tuffy and Rounder was that down, oh, I imagine, 75 yards in front of us, hunting along, and two deer run across, right close to them. But I don't know whether the dog seen the deer or not. And uh, old Vegas looked at his hound man, says, now we'll have a race. Well, I, under- I knew what he said to him. I didn't say anything. We just walked on down, and these dogs did Across these deer tracks and never paid a bit of attention to them. No Vegas turned around and looked at his hound man, says, I never saw that before, did you? And this old boy said, No, I never did. So we went on to camp and Vegas invited us to come to his camp. Says, Now I've got a good camp over there. I've got a little uh light plant and it'll also run an ice box. And he said, it's a real comfortable camp, and there's lots of jaguars there. So why don't you fellows load up and come to my camp? So we decided we'd do that. Well, this crazy guy that was uh, driving this truck that we'd rented out of uh, of Caracas had just got back and just run it right up under a tree, and a big limb had just knocked a hole right in the in the windshield and just splattered it all over. And, oh, he just laughed and laughed. So we went to Monte Carlo and hired another truck and told him to take that truck and go back to Caracas. We didn't want him anymore. So we brought that other truck out there and loaded all of our stuff and our dogs and us in it, and away we went. Well, this driver of this truck, didn't hardly know the way over there, and it was quite a ways and through the jungles. And we finally passed by a little, through a little town that did have some gas, and we filled up with gas, and we got down there and run out a road. And then it started getting dark, and Barnaby and I'd take turn about getting out there with a flashlight and finding the road for that truck, and Mr. Shirt got mad. He said, we're going to turn around and go back to Bruce Wall. Then back to Caracas. I said, no, we're not, Mr. Shirk. 
He said, yes, we are. I said, no, we're not. He said, we're going back to Bruce Wall. I said, no, we're not. He said, well, I'm going to tell these, this driver to take us back to Bruce Wall. I said, you can't talk to him. And he couldn't understand what you were trying to tell him. And I'm not going to tell him to go back to Bruce Wall. So we stopped and made camp. And, of course, he is mad. We had everything, and we had water with us. So we, after we made camp and got us something to eat and standing around the campfire a little while and getting ready to go to bed, while well, we heard a noise away over there, and it was at the crossing of this Rio de Apuri, and that's where we was trying to get to, and we was in hearing distance of it. So early the next morning, we loaded up, and we went over to this crossing, and we got our truck on a barge there, and we crossed this river, which is a pretty good-sized river. And as we got off on the other side, well, they told us the road to Vegas's camp, and we had no more trouble. We didn't have to go over eight or ten miles, and we was to Vegas's camp. And he did have a... a a nice camp. And there, and he was right, there was jaguars there. They had killed a couple of jaguars in, in just a few days before we got there. Now, and then they said right over here, just a little ways, they said there's a lake over there that's about somewhere around a couple of hundred yards around it. And they said there's all kinds of jaguar tracks where they've come and watered at that lake. Now, see, this is in the dry season, and that's when you want to go there. And in those canyons, it'd be sand, and some of them, sometimes, it'd have a little water in them, and there wasn't, but they wasn't running. So we loaded up early the next morning. Now, Vegas had a, a, a they called it a Fargo, and I, it made by Dodge, something like our old Dodge's four-wheel drive. So Clell and uh, and Vegas and Mr. Shirk, and they had one native with them, and then C.H. Barnaby and I and another native, and we had two packs of dogs. So we goes out there, and they'd been to that lake the day before, and we circled that lake, and they said, here's a jaguar track that wasn't here yesterday. So I said, well, Clell, I'm going to yank our hand uh, that one pack there out of there and take after this jaguar. Now, Vegas had some hounds there, too. And I said, y'all can go on, and we're going to take after this one. This native in C.H. and I, of course, he had the machete. And I, and I had this old Remington rifle, and he had this, his shotgun. So we, we put those dogs on that track, and they hadn't went but just a little ways. Till that native come up to me and says, I can tell you one thing. Says, you can catch lots of jaguars here with those dogs because I've never seen any hounds that get up and work a track and act like those. He said, that's by far the best dogs that I've ever seen. And in a little while, we had that jaguar jump and it wouldn't tree. And they, it went quite a ways of fighting them. And they went around and around and after a while, it finally stopped, and it was in a bad place. So when the dogs was obeying, 
So we cut right into them. And we were, we were up right amongst their dogs. And uh, I looked, and I know it wasn't over 10 or 12 feet from me, and right through a little part of that jungle, I could see that jaguar and is laying down. Now, that's how hard those dogs had run and fought that thing, and it was so hot, it was laying down. And uh, I whispered to C.H. and got him up there, and I said, there that thing is, kill it. He said, where? I said, laying right there, right there. I can't see it. I said, there it is, laying down. And now in a minute, well, of course, it heard us. Well, it jumped up. When it jumped up, he seen it, and he just stuck that old shotgun in there and pulled the trigger, and had a shrug in it, and it hit it right in the middle of the neck, and boy, down that thing went, and it is dead. Well, we pulled it out, and uh, put it on a pole, and carried it back down there, and here was a to one of those streams, and it had just a little water in it. So we got in the shade, and we hung, hung this thing up in the shade, and two hounds were out of commission. They couldn't go. Because they were they were hurt too bad, so we tied those dogs so they could be sure and be in the shade no matter how long we is gone, and so we pulled out on up a ways, and after a little bit, while well, we hit where this these streams had kind of forked a little and just little water in them in places, and it would be just a trink, trickle, and now in a minute we heard those our dogs coming right straight towards us. So I just got mine back there with me, and when their dogs come up right close to us, and they turned up this other little drainage, well, I turned ours loose, and away they went. And I guess we had only had about four dogs left, and Dora was one of these I remember that was in our pack. But anyway, it wasn't too far till they treed this jaguar, and it was a, another female and a good big animal. So we came up to it, and one native and C.H. Barnaby shot it, and it died out of there wounded, and old Dora run up, and I was standing right there and seeing this happen. That jaguar never grabbed it with with his claws or anything like they usually do when they bite one. That thing just reached out and snapped her and broke her shoulder, and then wheeled and jumped into the jungle, and I jumped into the jungle right there, after it, and the other stopped it for just an instant, and I killed her. So we went on back to the Fargo power wagon and went back. Well, then in a few days, well, this same native and Barnaby and I went over in the power wagon, and Mr. Shirk was in the power wagon, and we stopped, and we were going to have to walk right up through the jungle, maybe two and a half, three miles, somewhere in that neighborhood. Well, that was a part of the jungle that had bulged out and kind of was kind of egg-shaped. And at the upper end, they are supposed to be waiting up there for us with that power wagon. Well, we went up kind of on one side of this jungle, and as we got two-thirds of the way to this uh, power wagon, well, we picked up the tracks of a big male jaguar. And I... I knew at that time we hadn't killed a real big male. And when I looked at that track, I knew that it had to be a big male jaguar because it was big. 
and it was kind of going back down through the jungle, kind of paralleling the way we had went up. So, and just a little bit, I saw that was a good running track, and I told Barnaby, I said, now you follow me just as fast as you can, because I'm sure that they're going to catch that thing. Well, we were in hearing of them when they jumped, and we was in hearing of them when they bayed the first time. It never did go up a tree, it bayed. And, of course, then I pushed him for all I was worth. And it wasn't too long until we were right to him. And let's see. I either had, I guess I just had uh, five dogs, I guess. No, I had six. I had six dogs. And here, when we got to them, there three of them was standing out, looking into grass that was just as thick as grass could be, only it rose up and was twice as high as our head. And the other three dogs was in there and the jaguar. And we could hear him growling and the dogs were barking at him and the, these other three is standing on the outside of the bed. And he was right there. And I whispered to Barnaby, now that's going to be a chore to get in there and kill that thing. Because we can't see him till we're in, in a, maybe a foot of him. Well, I don't know what happened, but the jaguar probably smelled us or heard us or something, and he broke bay, and he went out of this tall grass, and the way they went, well, they didn't go 200 yards till they bait him again. And, of course, it was no length of time until we were there. Well, when we was coming up to the dogs, we come out into a little kind of opening, I imagine, 30 yards wide and maybe 75 yards long. And it just had sparse bushes in it. Well, down at one end of where this narrowed up, there was just a jungle tunnel that went down to where the dogs were bathed. And I walked down there and looked down through that tunnel and could see the jaguar bathed at the foot of a big old tree that had fell down and the roots are sticking up. And I could see that. So I said, well, now listen, C.H., I said, I'm going to walk right down through this tunnel, and you come in right behind me. And I said, now, I don't believe you'll shoot me in the back because I'm afraid to take mo for most of the people to come behind me uh, going up to a dangerous animal with a loaded gun. He said, no, I'm, I won't shoot you. Well, I didn't finger load finger load that old 35 Remington. I had several cottages in it, but I was afraid of it because it had to hang up every once in a while. And I figured when the chips was really down that that probably what had happened, but I couldn't help it. That's all I had to hunt with. So I said, okay, C.H., are you ready? And this, of course, this poor native, he's standing there back there quite a ways behind us, and all he had was a machete. And old C.H. said, well, I'm ready. So I leaned over, and, and I had to lean over to where I was just about straight out from my hips. I had to lean way over to go up. And I leaned over and started down through there. And I'd only got about three steps. And I could see the jaguar and the dogs maneuvering around. And there was a dog right between me, the jaguar and I. And now in a minute, he just laid his ears on his head and he growled and roared, and here he come. 
Well, I thought he was there with that dog. That dog just in the, faded into the jungle, and here that jaguar come right down through that tunnel right towards me. And he had probably covered half of the distance before I really realized maybe that he was after me. And here he come, well, when he got up pretty close, within four or five jumps of me, I guess, or six, I was all stooped over, and I just stuck that old gun out there and didn't think I could possibly miss him and pulled the trigger, and the gun hung up, and that Jaguar never checked. Well, I couldn't stand there with that with, with that gun hung up and in face of that thing, so I run backwards. Well, Barnaby had just leaned over to come in, and when he heard me shoot and saw me running backwards, well, he run backwards for a few steps out in this kind of open. And just as I got out, I just raised up and jumped to one side of that opening in that jaguar, of that tunnel, and that jaguar just shot right out. And there, Barnaby was out in front of him, and he just took to him. And he run right up to him and just sit down on his kind of his hind legs and his haunches like a quarter horse will when you rope a calf, and rired up and and brought his claws up. Now, I don't know why this jaguar done that, but he kind of turned his right side to him and and was kind of swinging into the right to reach out and get him with his claws. Oh, boy, that scared me. And I was trying to unhang that old gun, too, and I was saying to Barnaby, it didn't look like he's going to shoot. And he had a slug in one side and a buckshot in the other. And I was a saying, shoot, doggone it, shoot. And finally, with just as a, that Jaguar's feet was no distance from him, he just stuck that old gun out there and pulled off both barrels. And he missed him with the slug. But he hit him right square in the point of, the, of, the, of his right shoulder with that full load of buckshot at that distance, which the gun couldn't have been over three feet from him, I don't believe. It's that far. I don't think it's that far. Well, it knocked that Jaguar down for just an instant on his side, and he just jumped right back upon his feet. And that shoulder wasn't even broke to where he couldn't use it. I couldn't even tell that he couldn't use it as good as he did any of them. Well, right there is where maybe our hounds saved our neck. Because when those bullets went to going off, those hounds were right there, and they went to going up and uh, getting that jaguar by the hind end. And he just made a few jumps out and still wasn't back in the bad jungle and jumped out there and went to fighting those dogs. Well, he jumped out there and grabbed one of them right square in the small of the back, kind of in front of the hips with both claws, so that's with both front feet, and that showed that that shoulder wasn't hurt very much. And pulled that dog up, and I was still a-watching it and trying to unhang that gun, and opened his mouth to bite that dog. And it was a red speckled hound we called uh, Rip, I believe. And when uh, he done that, old Nag run up behind him, a big blue tick, and grabbed that jaguar right by the hips, and that old Jaguar just jumped and snorted and turned that 
that red speckled dog loose that he had in his claws and never he never did bite him. And when those claws come out of that dog, they just popped like sticks. And the dog got away. But he was hurt, and he was out of the fight. So finally the jaguar got back in deeper in the jungle. And I got this old gun unloaded, and that made five more bullets that I had. Well, I wouldn't load it up anymore, only finger loaded. I meant one at a time. So I put a bullet in there and run in there and shot him. Turn around, run out, and I still didn't kill him. There's something matter with that ammunition. No telling how old it was. And I done that, and I had that Jaguar shot all over. I had him shot in the, the head and the shoulder and in behind the shoulders, and I shot up all my cottages. And he still wasn't dead. Well, Barney been shot all of his, but he had shot four, and he had two left. Well, the two cottages he had left were both buckshot. So... I said, listen, C.H., get in there and kill that thing. I haven't got any cottages left. Now, we've started this, and we got to finish it. He said, well, now, listen, maybe we have started it, and maybe we have got to finish it. But he says, I'll tell you, I'm not going in there. And this thing had went back then and got in some of those bad vines that you can walk on, but you can crawl in, in under them like a dog on your hands and knees, but you can't raise up because it'll be three feet thick above you, and you can get up on top there and walk along if you're not careful and fall through a hole. So, see, I had to crawl in under there and drag that old gun along with me, and I had the only two cartridges we had left, which is buckshot in this old 12-gauge gun. And uh, he was hurt. He was sick. But he is back in there at least 100 feet or, or farther. And five of these hounds are still with him, and the one that he had hurt so bad was outside. He wouldn't go in there, which you couldn't blame him, because his hind end wasn't working very good. So <clears throat> they just a circling him. And every once in a while, well, one of them would dip him on the back end, and he'd he he could jump up and charge around. He'd charge him around there, but he'd go back and lay down in the same place, just like the other one did, under those same circumstances. But then there were five dogs there with him instead of two. So every time that that had happened, I'd wanted to be up pretty close so I could be sure and kill him with them two last shots. So I, when that commotion was kind of go. I'd crawl up a little closer. And so I finally got up. I figured I wasn't over over 40 feet from him, maybe closer. And I just laid down there right on my belly, right on flat on the ground. And I put that old gun up to my left shoulder, and I got ready. Well, now in a minute, he charged him around and then went back and laid down in the same place. And there was a dog right between the Jaguar and I. So I waited there just a little bit, and this dog moved to one side. And I just raised up and sided with both of those bullets, right shotgun cartridges right straight at his head, and I just pulled both triggers at, at, at once. 
Well, I cracked his head and I killed him with those last two shots. But let me tell you, folks, I'll never do that again because I thought my shoulders broke. Why, it kind of scooted me back, laying right on my stomach, and oh, did my shoulder hurt. But it killed him. And uh, I went back out then and hollered for this native, and he answered away down there. I bet he is a quarter of a mile. And you couldn't blame him for getting out of there because he only had a machete. So he came back and we got in there and pulled the jaguar back out into the ed edge of the jungle. We were right in the edge of it by that time to where we could get to him with a power wagon. So C.H. Barbie and I and the, and the hounds all stayed there and he went and got the power wagon and come, come down and Mr. Shirt was with him in the power wagon and, uh, and picked us up and took us on back to camp. And it, I thought that poor C.H. Barnaby was still pale when Mr. Shirt got there over that because that was a dangerous proposition. And if that jaguar would have got a hold of him, he might have killed us both because if he had them, I'd have sure hit him over the head with that old Remington gun I had and God to got him off, and he'd probably got a hold of both of us. Well, now, <clears throat> far as I know, this is a record. Because in 32 days down there of hunting, we brought in 27 Jaguars using two packs of dogs. And far as I know, that is a record. And uh, I've never heard anybody that knows anything about jaguar hunting or in either South America or the United States ever dispute that. Well, now, folks, in those days, I, I think that old Dale Lee was pretty fleet-footed. And I'll tell you another incident that happened on that same hunt. We had found a huge bull that had been killed by jaguars. And there was a... a the, the tracks of a big jaguar there at that bull, and it was a big track. But it there wasn't anything fresh, and the dogs are just trailing around there, and we were getting ready to take them off and go on because they wasn't didn't act like they were ever going to be able to line it out or anything. And so Clell was right up there right with the dogs, which was probably 100 yards from us. And this one native and I, we was walking along, looking, and I was back behind him away, looking for tracks and looking around, and come up and looked up, and he is up a tree, and wasn't very far from me, 30, 40 yards up there. And I said, what are you doing? He said, don't come up here. Says, here's a bull, and says, he took after me, and I come this tree. And I said, well... I'll come up there and run him off for you. He said, don't you come up here because he'll charge you, and I know that he will. I said, well, I'm not afraid of a bull. So I walked on up there. Well, I had a shotgun that day and some cottages, but I didn't have a uh, double barrel, but I didn't have it loaded. And I got up there pretty close to that bull, and just the instant that thing saw me, and he was a big animal, and he had long horns. And he just charged me, and here he come down through there. Well, that bull was right close to me, and me a 
standing there looking at him, and I had to turn and get up momentum. And boy, I turned and I left there just as fast as I could run, and down through there I went, and I came to a, uh, to a big tree, and I just went right around that tree because I knew that bull couldn't make that turn like that as big as he was, and I knew he couldn't catch me around that tree. And uh, the bull didn't try. He just went on down through the jungle. And I started back up there, and that native said, Don't come up here. I said, Why? He said, Here's another bull here. And I said, Well, I'm a-coming, and if that thing charges me like that and did, I'm going to shoot him right between the eyes with this buckshot. And I'm going to kill him if he charges me like that and did. He said, well, come on then. So I went on up there, and that other one didn't charge me, and I run him off. Then that native come down, and he laughed, and he said, say, says, you can sure run. I said, well, under them conditions, you better run, and you better run fast. He said, well, that's true. And he said, you did run fast. I said, say, help us. How far do you think that bull missed me when I went around that tree? Because I couldn't tell, but I don't think he's very far. He said, I don't believe that bull missed hitting you over four or five, six feet at the most. Maybe I don't believe over four or five feet when you went around that tree. I said, well, that was far enough. He didn't, he didn't hit me. So I thought that showed that I was pretty fleet-footed. And that native said, you can sure run. Now, this... This hunt took place, I believe, just before World War II started. And the fellow that lined up for the hunt, I've forgotten his name, but he had plenty of money, and I believe he was connected to the Army some way or was taking a bunch of, of Army contracts. Anyway, he was from New York. So he came to Ernest and says, uh, Ernest, if the boys will take their whole outfit and go down into Chihuahua, Mexico there, and get the camp all uh, situated around and come down and then come back and pick me up in El Paso. Well, I'll meet them in El Paso there and uh, and go on back down with them. And uh, he said, but I don't want to lose no time because I want to be ready to hunt and everything set up and ready to go when I get there, and I want them to have the game located and have the have the camp in a spot where there is game. And so Ernest, told, he paid him a good big deposit on the hunt, and so Vincent and I and a, and a fellow by the name of Phil Flint from Canyatea, Texas, went with us. Now, he was, he was kind of crippled from the polio. But he got around pretty doggone good to be a crippled man. And he was stout. So Vincent and I went to Canyatea, and that's only just about, I think, 20 miles from El Paso. We went to Phil Flint's, and we got all, I think, got in there one afternoon. We stayed there and got everything ready to pull out early the next morning, and we hit the border, and it took us a while to to get across, and as I remember correctly, we was about a, 130 miles below the border. Well, anyway, we were down between El Paso 
in Chihuahua City, or where, uh, where you cross there in Mexico from El Paso is Juarez. And I can't remember now just how long it took us to get there. But we got down in there anyway, and we got back there and found game, and we do, did make a nice count and got all set. And we had a good pack of dogs. And we had a good pack of lion dogs, and we also had a good pack of bear dogs. Now, we had two coal black dogs that were, they were tall, good big dogs. I imagine they'd weigh 62 or 3 pounds apiece. And now, I call them cur dogs, because here we had got them out of Oregon when they were pups. We traded two hounds for these three fighting dogs. And we only had two of them with us. And they were the two males. Now they were well-built dogs and had good muscles. And they were supposed to be hound and bull terrier and a little bit of stag hound and bird dog in them. So that was quite a, a mixture. But anyway, they were fighting dogs, and they could trail a, a fresh track. And when they could trail a track, they were fast. And here's another thing that they would do that wouldn't wouldn't bother you. If your dogs was on a track they couldn't smell, they just went along with your hounds, and they didn't bother them. They just went along with them. But when your hounds jumped, they had to be fast, or those dogs would would lead them. So we got out of this camp. We got her all fixed up. So Phil, Clint, and I came back to Canyatia uh, and was going to meet this fellow there in El Paso. So we phoned Ernest. And Ernest phoned that fellow, and he, he said, all right. And Ernest said, come on out by the house when you're leaving, and let me give you all the final instructions and I want to send the letters to Dale. And he said, okay. Well, he was about ready to go, so it wasn't long till he was there at the house. And uh, Ernest said, well, they're there at uh, Phil Flint's there in Canyatilla. And he said, I'll phone them that you're on the road and about when you'll get to El Paso. And we had a place set to meet in El Paso. So that fellow had been there a while, and he'd got all of the instructions, just what to do, and he, he had this letter that Ernest had wrote to me, and he started to walk out of the house, and the telephone rang. And it was for this fellow. They knew he was coming by there before he started out to El Paso. And he went back and talked on the telephone a little bit, and now in a minute, well, he said, all right. And he hung up, and he said, well, Ernest, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I've got to go to New York, and I've got to go there. This is the first plane I can catch out. But he says, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, you phone those boys, and you tell them to go on back down there. And they make the hunt just like I'm there. And he said, and bring me the trophies, and I will take them and I'll have them mounted, and I'll pay all for all of the hunt. 
And Ernie said, well, all right. That fellow said, well, I'm sorry, but says, that's all I can do. Well, Ernie says, that's far enough. So, of course, when he called me and told me that fellow wasn't coming, well, I kind of throw the fit. And Ernie says, well, let me explain things to you. Says, he told me to tell you to go on back down there and make that hunt just exactly like he was there and for you to make it and then come on back out and bring the trophies and he would pay for the whole hunt just like he was on it. And he said, so I think that's fair. And I said, well, I think it is too. We'll go back down there and make one. So we went back down there. And there was a big old lobo wolf coming right up close to her camp. And we took down two wolf traps. So one day, Vincent says, I'm going to go down, back down the road we'd come in there on, which was just a little old dirt road that ended close there to where we had camped. Said, I'm going to go back down here about a couple of miles, and I'm going to set these two traps. Because I've seen that wolf track along that road a couple of times. And just to see if I can catch it. So here's the bait he used. He went out there to where one of these hounds had been a-wetting on some leaves. So he just took and scooped up these leaves and put them in a little sack. And carried them down there. And these two traps. And he set these two traps in pretty close together. and just poured some of those leaves right in behind the trout. And uh, we weren't going out every day because we knew we was going to, this this hunt called for two weeks. So we decided we'd just hunt around there and get us some camp meat. And there was deer and a lot of deer there and also turkeys. So we decided we'd get us some, some camp meat for to last for a few days. So Vincent went to his traps. And the second morning, and we was going to hunt the next day with our dogs, and we didn't want to go down in that where those traps were, so Vincent was going to throw his traps at, only going to keep them set two nights. Well, Phil Flint and I went out there deer hunting and turkey hunting, and uh, we had good luck. I think we got two of those small white-tailed deer and four turkeys. So he went down there and run his traps the second morning to pull them up, and he had this, he had this lobo wolf in one of them. He said he saw wires coming up the road, and it passed by the trap and winded that trap, and turned and went back to it, and just walked right up and just plopped his foot right in it, the first thing that he come to. So he took his traps up and brought this wolf on back up to camp, and we skinned it skinned it, and we'd had a lot of salt there and prepared the hide and everything. Well, that was one trophy. And there, were, there was barring line in their bowl. So in just a day or two after that, well, we caught a big female line. Well, that old boy wasn't going to be without any trophies, so that is his second trophy. So in a few days, I don't know why, but I was back there by myself. And, and I had these two Black fighting dogs. Now, these two dogs were real fighters after a bear. And they got after a bear, and they run it in a hole. So I got down there and got fooling around, and this old bear got to 
wasn't very far back there, and he'd snort and everything. So I rolled a bunch of rocks in that hole, the mouth of that hole, and some big ones. And I thought maybe it'd hold him until I could get back. So I took the dogs and went to camp, which wasn't too far, but it must have took me an hour to get back there. And Phil Flint and Vincent was both in camp. And I said, come on, boys, saddle up. I said, let's go back over there and get that bear. I got him stopped up in my hole. If he gets out, well, we'll take after him and see if we can catch him again. So we went back over there. And we had these two fighting dogs. So we got the... We wouldn't let those dogs, we'd keep them beat back away from that hole. So we got down there, and we couldn't make him come out. And it was a big bear, too. But he was just of the, there was a few grizzlies in there. But this wasn't no grizzlies. This was just of the black bear species. But he was a big bear. We couldn't get him out, so we set a bunch of sticks afar and poked him back in there. And after a bit, well, the smoke began to roll in out, and we could smell higher. And I said, well, we're, we're burning something up in there. I can smell the higher. <laughs> and now I met that old bear come up and kind of stuck his nose up there, and Benson shot him right down. He was standing above him, and he shot him right down through the nose with a twenty-two. And when he did, that old bear just snorted. And out of there he come. Well, when he jumped up on a rock, and all that hair kind of stood up, well, he looked huge. And off of that mountain he went, and those dogs right after him. And I told old, and I told Vince and Phil Flint, I said, we might have made a mistake by doing that, because we could have killed that thing when it jumped out on that rock. And we hurried down there a little ways, and we saw him come out across this canyon and up on the other hillside. And boy, one of these black dogs was in the lead. And he just run up and just grabbed that thing. Well, that bear just turned and charged him, and he run off. The dog went on down the hill, and the bear turned back. Well, the next dog was half July and half Walker. And he is a fast dog, and he is a bear dog. And you know, he just motored up on that bear, just like that fighting dog did. And they're standing there looking at him. And he grabbed him right by the hind end. And that bear turned around and charged him, and then stopping and trying to go back on up that, that hill, he just went right down to the bottom of the canyon, and the first good pine tree he found, well, he come it. And, of course, they all started barking trees, and we laughed and went on down there and killed this bear and went and and went on back to camp. And uh, then we hunted there a few more days, and we didn't, uh, didn't do any more good there. And so we had this guy three trophies. And with uh, this one bear, well, the last one we'd killed, we still... We'd roll up out the hide and then we'd roll it up. We had it salted real good. And a, a Spaniard came in there. They, they had a big Spanish sediment there and they were Spaniards from Spain and was on the wrong side of the fence when old Franco took over as a dictator of Spain and they had come to Mexico and they brought a lot of money 
and they had bought a bunch of land back there, and there was a regular colony of them. And some of them were dark-complected, but some of them were real fire people, too. And this Spaniard come in there and said, I've got a bear hide I'd like to sell you. So we looked at it, and it was a grizzly, but it wasn't a very big one. It was a grizzly bear, all right, so he let us have it, so we bought it for a little or nothing, and then we pulled out for home. So we had that guy four, four trophies, but this one bear was still kind of fresh. So, and, oh, I got mad when we hit the line at El Paso. We crossed out of Mexico, all right, and I still had a, a bunch of of the papers that I got in Mexico. And uh, got on this side of the line, and it went to going through her stuff and all that, and they found these hides. And they said, well, we're going to have to hold these hides until we can get uh, permission to let them come in from Austin, Texas. That is the capital. And I said, well, how long is that going to be? They said, well, we should here within a week, but says it might take 10 days. And I said, look, we got all of this camp stuff here and all of these dogs. And where are we going to put them up for a week or 10 days? Waiting to see if Austin, Texas will clear those hides so we can take them. I said, I thought I was over in my own country to where I belong. I'm, a, I'm an American. And I said, I'll just tell you one thing. And I just looked him right in the eye. I said, I think you Texans are worse than these Mexicans. Oh, he said, you need to get mad. I said, no, that's something to be glad about. I said, going to have to waste a week or 10 days here waiting for these hides. And I said, I'm not going to leave without these hides. I knew where we could put her everything up because we could have went on up there about 20 miles to fill flints but that wasn't the idea and we'd just be a sitting there for a week maybe 10 days so this fellow said well says if you'll let us have those mexico papers that you've got going into mexico well I said uh, i guess we can let you go he said where are you taking them i said we're taking them through texas right into new mexico and from New Mexico, we're going to cross into Arizona. I said, I don't like your state anyway. Well, he didn't get mad. I was mad. He just kind of grinned. He said, okay, give me those papers and go on. So we pulled on. But now if I'd have been mealy-mouthed and wouldn't have said anything to him, well, they'd have made us stay there. And I told him besides, I said, that one hide is green. And by the time that, that all took place, you guys had had it spoiled. Work. The hair'd be a slipping out of it all over. It wouldn't be any good. And I said, and that's what we went down there for was those trophies. And so he said, okay, go ahead. So we pulled out and come on home. And that old boy, he he paid for the whole hunt. And when he got his trophies, why well, he was tickled to death with them. And they were nice trophies. But the hide we had out of that that we had of that big, well, he was. Uh, a black bear. No, he wasn't. He is, uh, he is brown because, but not a dark brown. Fairly dark. But those natives told me they'd never seen a real cold black bear there. But th that bear was of the black bear species. But they said they were all from light brown to real dark brown. 
But anyway, what that hide was a lot bigger than that grizzly hide that we got from that Spaniard. I don't imagine that grizzly hide was probably all, all off of bar that's over maybe three years old, maybe not that old. But that other bar was a far a bar up had several years on him and he was a big bar. And so I thought that was the end of a, another successful bar hunt in line and hunting all in Mexico with a wolf hide, a lion hide, and two bar hides for trophies.